We are in the book of Revelation. For those that are visiting today, we welcome you in the middle of this series. We've been talking about prophecy now for about six months and various scriptures about prophecy headed toward the end times in the book of Revelation. And this morning we come back to the book of Revelation, the prophecy of the end times. Today's message is really the beginning of the end times in the book of Revelation. As we think about it, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6. And today I I want to, uh, I suppose I'll, I'll summarize it like this. I want to do some teaching today and some preaching. Um, sometimes texts are, are uh, full and just the background of them are important. And, and I want to give you a little bit of a, a foundation for how we view the end times. And how as Christians we should understand the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation I think most people would say is the most mysterious book in the Bible. We have a lot in there that we understand and there's a whole lot that we speculate about and people read books about and watch uh, preachers talk about and have all kinds of discussion. Um, today I want to talk a little bit about how we approach the end times in the book of Revelation. John, the disciple of Jesus, the only living apostle, has been drawn to heaven's door. And at that place, at that point, John is looking into something that is incredible and and amazing and spectacular and humbling and powerful. And just as we look at the book of Revelation and we see the wonder of it, John as that first witness, the eyewitness, the one that was actually there to look in that door and see what Jesus was speaking to him about and that he was to write down, he was told specifically, write down what you see in this vision and give it to the churches. And John did that. The events of the end of human history and the conclusion of time as we know it, of the bringing to a close this earth in the form that it is, is all wrapped up in these events in the book of Revelation. We call it end-time prophecy. That's not a term from the Bible, but that's a a term that certainly circulated through theology and the Christian church and books. You can read numerous books that have the title End Times or End Time Prophecy in it. I'm reminded as as we look at this prophecy today, remember this was a vision of John. It's a little bit different than describing something that already took place John is given a vision of what's going to happen in the future. And he's writing it down. And so the events, especially as we start in chapter 6 today, is of a specific day that will start and the future. And John sees that. Obviously, the book of Revelation is very detailed. It's very complex. It's, it's got a lot of themes in it and ideas in it and colorful imagery in it and sometimes we wonder well, what is the imagery for and is it literal or is it to signify something that God wants us to hear and see about his view of the future it also the timing of the book of revelation from chapter 6 on is often intertwined with prior parts or prior parts of the story 
And so there are a few places in Revelation 6 through the end where you're reading and you think, well, doesn't this apply to what I read in the last chapter? And there are a couple of examples of that. And we'll talk very briefly about one of them today. But as we read from chapter 6 to the end of the book of Revelation, understand that the complexity of it, there's a lot of different ways that people interpret the events. And there's a lot of viewpoints that are out there. I am uh, speaking today and I'm presenting my best thought of, of how I understand the theology and the background of these chapters. Obviously, there's a lot of variety of interpretation. I want to present today and next week and in the future what I believe is obvious to us and shown to us from these passages. I'm going to use one long word and maybe never mention it again, but many of you have heard the word premillennialism. Many of you have. Some of you had. It's a long word. But it's a viewpoint that most Nazarenes and most Wesleyan Arminians have about the timing of these chapters in the book of Revelation. Not all, and there are other viewpoints. But this is the viewpoint simply and basically that the rapture is the first event that's going to take place in uh, the end times. And I kind of begin with that. I believe that that's the best explanation of what we have beginning in chapter 6. And I'm going to talk about that today as the viewpoint which I will explain the events that, that we're going to look at as we continue on in the book of, of Revelation. We have left in the book of Revelation chapter 6 through 22. We've gone through 5. 6 through 22 now go together. 6 through 22 are the end times. Uh, after the rapture of God's people and those that are left on the earth and the events that take place uh, after Christ comes to receive the church home called the rapture. I preached specifically the scriptures about the rapture a couple of months ago. But that moment in the twinkling of an eye, in the sound of a trumpet, when suddenly Jesus is going to take from the earth every believer. And it will be sudden. And my understanding... My viewpoint is it will be unknown until the moment it happens. And there's absolutely nothing that needs to happen before that next event takes place. And it's going to take place. There's going to be a day. There's going to be a day when that rapture takes place. It could be today. It could be next week. It could be in the next year. It could be a long time from now. But the Bible gives us an urgency about the rapture. That it's coming and we need to be aware of it. He want, God wants us to be aware of the coming of the rapture. And so these events in Revelation chapter 6 through 22 take place after the rapture. That's the first event. These events described are intertwined. And some of them, as I say, go back and maybe give more detail to something that was described earlier. I'll give you one Example when we get to the fifth seal of what I'm saying about that. I also want to say that the number seven is key to the book of Revelation. All you have to do is just flip through every chapter in the book of Revelation. You see the number, the number seven. It's used in many, many, many different places to describe the end times and the plan of God. Not taking time to go into why that is. But when you're studying the book of Revelation, be aware of that number because you'll see how tied together the number sevens are in places. Of course, in the first 
two chapters, three chapters, we saw the number seven churches. And this message was written first to seven churches. Well, that's just one of many, many. In fact, the word seven is found over 50 times in the book of Revelation. Think about that. 22 chapters, 50 times is the number seven. You think, well, why? Well, they're tied together. And the number seven, I think, is important to think about. I have one more slide or chart that I want to show you before we specifically go into chapter 6. And again, it's a summary of the next chapter 6 through 22. It kind of helps me to organize the way I approach these colorful prophecies um, as I think about the rest of of the book of Revelation. 6 through 22, that's the chapters left. I would suggest that we think about 6 through 20 in one way, and then overlapped 19 through 22 in a second. And I'll explain why that is. Because chapters 19 and 20 overlap between these two themes that that I want to describe. The first chapter 6 through 20, which is the volume of what we have in the book of Revelation. In fact, two-thirds of the book of Revelation is about what you see on that left side of your screen, the category that I will describe as simply a seven-year period. You think about that, two-thirds of the book of the Revelation is describing a seven-year period. Uh, Two, three-and-a-half-year periods, basically. And during this time, we have descriptions in these 13 chapters of terrible tribulation and suffering and persecution and events that we, we kind of swallow hard when we read. And they're horrible. They're terrible. This is the period where in Revelation is described God's judgment on sin. God's judgment on mankind. And how God is bringing about the end of the time period of man's free will and sin. And the choices that he's made. So when you think of all these symbols that we read about and we think about, think about them within a seven-year window, a seven-year period that takes place. The second side of that, chapters 19 through 22, again with overlap in these two chapters, are a little bit different theme. It's also about the final judgment of God, but it's about the final victory of God and how He overcomes Satan and the final judgment on Satan. And it's almost like the first part is judgment on man. The second part is judgment on, uh, on Satan and the final victory. And also, so important not to forget, and more of it is in this part, is the final rewards of how God is rewarding His people. And all the promises that are culminated from the beginning of the book of Genesis. And in chapters 21 and 22, all those promises, like all those thousands of arrow promises are shot through history, and they land in chapter 21 and 22. And they're beautiful. It's amazing, the beauty and the wonder of how the final victory and the final rewards of God. This also describes the thousand year reign, the, the millennium. Uh, and, uh, and then finally, in these last two chapters, the new heaven and the new earth, the new order, the end of time. When time as we know it, as we understand it, as we uh, uh, see it, uh, is gone and left. A new heaven and a new earth. So that's kind of a framework 
to how we look, how I look at the book of Revelation. Chapter 6 through 20 is a seven-year period, specific. There are details. And all of chapter 6 through 20 are giving you details about that seven-year period. And then the coming of Christ. And the beginning of this thousand-year reign. And then the final judgment. And all these things um, that we read about. So we come this morning to back to the end of chapter 5 that we're at last week. And we have the question, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to bring about the beginning of the end? Who can initiate? Who has the right to? Who has accomplished what needs to be so that the end of time will come and God will bring to an end time? Just as God created time at a certain place, at least in relation to human history, there was a day that Adam was created I mean, there was a day and a moment and and an hour that Adam was created. And there will be a day of the final rewards and the final death. That day happened and this day will happen. And the question is, who has a right to bring about this day? That's the question in chapter 5. Who is worthy to open the scrolls? We know that John, as he's looking into that window or that door of heaven, is, is, is seeing the heaviness of that. That no one there is worthy to open the scroll. And and chapter 5 said John is weeping because uh, he knows its significance. That no one was found. You look at chapter 5 verse 3. No one in heaven and on earth was worthy to open the scroll. Uh, In heaven or on the earth or under the earth could open the scroll. And this brought about this weeping of John. This... This witness, this one that God has allowed to... He understands the, the heaviness of, of what's happened to mankind and that the history of man and it's coming to this ugly bitterness and who can get us through this? Who can solve this? Who, who is able to bring about the reconciliation between God and man? And John feels that and he's, he's asking about that. And then you go on to verse 5, two verses later... Uh, we read the voice of the one that says, Do not weep, John, don't weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. This elder calls out, We see him, we know him. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And this beautiful description of two things, two images that are played out through the Bible, the lion and the lamb, both of those beings within the Christ who came as the Messiah and bore the sins of the world. You have in the, the nature of Jesus, you have the, the strength of the lion and, the, and the, the prophecy of the Old Testament and, and all the things that God did to prepare. And then the lamb as he went to the cross and willingly gave his life. You have these two images, the lion and the lamb, and, and both of them are important to understand the end of the book of Revelation, to understand this concept and this idea of the two, I don't know what word you use, the two personalities, the two sides of the two images of the lion and the lamb. And from chapter 6 through 22, you, you see, you don't hear descriptions of the lion anymore, you hear descriptions of the lamb, but these two together make up this image in our minds of the strength of God that He overcame sin. And He did it. And the the lion and the lamb was able to do that. So He is the one that's able to open the scrolls. 
the emergence of these two images to John is this great relief that God is able because Christ is able, the Messiah has come, and He can bring about the culmination of God's plan. And so through the rest of the book of Revelation, you have this being, the the Christ, the Lamb, the Messiah, who is able to initiate and bring about all these things that are going to happen and lead to the new heaven and the new earth in chapter 22. The excitement as the elder announces that there is one that is worthy is is overwhelming in heaven. In the last chapter we saw that, the, the joy that erupts when the announcement is made, there is one who is worthy. And all of heaven begins to worship and 10,000 times 10,000, a million angels, it says in chapter 5, stand and worship God and worship the Lamb because He is able to open the scrolls. The whole idea of the opening of the scroll is, is to us kind of a mysterious thought and idea, but in this situation and in John's vision and in God's revelation to us, the opening of the scroll is so important that He is able to open the scroll. And at that moment in time, when the questions ask, and at first there seems to be no one, we're told that Jesus steps forward at the throne of God, and He approaches the Father. And according to chapter 5, He reaches out and He takes the scroll from the right hand of the one that sits on the throne, and He takes it. And He holds it. And then we have chapter 6. Read with me. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Read it in your Bible or in a Bible or pure. Listen to these words. And today we're going to read about the opening of the first five seals of Revelation chapter 6. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked, and there before me was a white horse... Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hands. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider, I'm sorry, its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beast of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed 
just as they had been. The seven seals follow the rapture and describe a time of great persecution. A seven-year period or so. Suffering. The consequences of sin. I look at these four first horses and what they represent. And I think they all represent the accumulation of a sinful nature. They represent where man goes without God. They represent the natural order of those who choose to reject the authority and the truth of God. And it will bring terrible suffering. Sin out of control. Sin that seems like God has drawn back in chapter 6 His presence at all. And what happens when there's no restraint of God's Spirit in the heart of evil man? He becomes worse. Paul described him as depraved. And these chapters uniquely capture what it's like when God says, okay, have your own way. And he steps back. And these four horses represent that. The earth and its inhabitants will reap what sin sows without the hand of God of grace and mercy and pulling back and sending His angels to help people, sending His Spirit throughout the earth. I've always thought that the worst thing spiritually that can happen is when God withdraws His Holy Spirit in the heart of man. Remember, this is after the rapture. All the Christians are taken. There's no Christians left when chapter 6, the first seal is open. God said, okay, this is your kingdom. This is yours. And for seven years, He's going to allow man to rule without His Holy Spirit at all on the earth. And what happens? You have four stages. Four horses that come through. Four horses. And then three more events as the seven seals that will be detailed and played out over the next 14 chapters. As I said, two-thirds of the book of Revelation cover this seven-year period and these four horses and three events. Here is the sequence. I keep saying, so we're reminded, the sequence. The first, the rapture's first. Go on to that next slide, would you please? The rapture's first. And then we have chapter 6 and 7, seven seals. And we have beginning in chapter 7 into chapter 8, the seven trumpets of judgment. Then after the seven trumpets, we have the seven bowls of God's wrath. So you have three layers of sin having its way, as you would. And then the judgment of God. Part of what happens in chapters 6 through 20, I don't know if there's the right way to say it, but this is how I'll say it. it, has nothing to do with God. It has to do with what sin does. I think of the first four especially in those terms. This is what man is without the blood of Jesus. Seven seals, judgment, consequences, 
the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. And at the end of that seven-year period, after all this ugly, ugly, Christ will come back and He will begin to restore order. He will bring final judgment on Satan. He will reward the righteous. He will create the new heaven and the new earth. But these seven years in between chapters 6 through 20 are just... What, what, would you, what would you call it? Another way to say it is like this. Go on to that next slide. The, the rapture is... Three things kind of happen. Number one is there's a time of preparation. Unknown. The Bible doesn't say how long between the rapture and chapter 6. Totally speculative. Days, hours, weeks, years. I, I don't know. Some people... Uh, have strong opinion. I don't know. I don't think the Bible tells us. But after the rapture, soon after the rapture, you have these events taking place in humanity that are political and military and spiritual and religious uh, of different things that people, leaders will do around the world to jockey into positions of power and trying to control and you're going to have this time period of preparation that will set up this horrible time of the great tribulation. So you have whatever that takes, and then you have three and a half years of peace. That's horse number one, peace. And then you have three and a half years of total tribulation and death and suffering and all those things. And then you have... Chapter 19 and 20 in the return of Christ. So I give you this kind of as a way to organize how you view the end times and what happens in each. All those events from 6 to 19 to 20, again, things like, just for example, things like uh, the mark of the beast, the woman and the child, um, all those horrible things that are a part of that are within this three-and-a-half period year of persecution, it, it seems to me as I look at that. Okay, now we're going to look at those individual seals. And I think we're going to look at four or five of them this morning. And then we're going to continue on, Lord willing, in two weeks. The first seal. The first seal. I watched as a lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bit on conquest. The first horse. He's a conqueror. The white horse signifies victory. The white horse signifies strength. The white horse signifies that the leader has emerged. Signifying also by the white horse and the ways presented that he will bring about his power through peaceful means. He will be a deceiver. He will be one who will somehow unify the world, I believe. A world leader bringing peace. During this first three and a half year time period, it will seem like things are going well on earth. 
There will be many signs of people. Again, the rapture's already taken place. These are unbelievers. There will be many people who believe that, wow, we're glad all those people left and God's gone. You have this time period of peace. And this leader or series of leaders or group of leaders who will emerge as strong and they will bring peace to the earth. Now remember a couple things about this. This is not Christ. This is an Antichrist. It is some combination of powerful people on earth who will say, peace, peace. But of course, the peace will soon come to an end. This is the beginning steps of a world leader who may be described later in the chapters. I said how later on in chapters 6 through 20, it refers back to different episodes and stories. And later on, we'll refer back to the first horse. And you'll have a reading of the white horse later. And even later on, you'll have Christ on the white horse. But that's a different question. But the first time period will seem, the first three and a half years will seem like a time of peace. There'll be food, there won't be any war. And there will be peace without war. There will be conquest without fighting. Somehow this leader or group of leaders will be able to manipulate the whole world. Military, food, uh, politics, uh, resources, armies, and it will be a time of peace. It will seem like, I believe, an incredibly false view of what man can do. It will be all of man's ego and pride that will come out in the first three and a half years. As if man is able to create peace. And then you have the second seal. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. So after three and a half years, to use a secular term that we usually don't use, but it's so apropos here, all hell will break loose after three and a half years. And the fullness of evil will break loose on the earth. Murder. Murder. Killing, wars, not just one war, not World War III, continuous war for three and a half years. There's no end to it as described. There's no end to the conflict. There's no end to the hatred. There's no end to how everything will come unglued when the second horse emerges, when the second seal is broken as John looks into it. The outbreak and bloodbath of unprecedented war everywhere, continuous, a series of wars. Again, this is no more than the reaping of what man has sown. It is not any different than the scripture that says, as a man soweth, that also shall he reap. That's what happens when God says, okay, you do it on your own. For three and a half years, oh man, look how good it is. And then, it all will come apart. And that's the way sin is. Sin sometimes seems like, well, it don't have any consequences. In fact, maybe it has some good benefits. And 
be sure your sins will always find you out. It's personal and it's about the world. It is both for you and me individually, but it's also about society. It's about government. It's about selfishness. It's about that part of us that demand our own way. All of it is about that. The second horse, death, war, continuous. And the third horse is the horse of famine. There before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. Famine will be the the natural result of the wars. Again, I don't even know that you'd say God did this to them in this in the third horse. Simply describing what happens when man has his way leads to conflict. And then it leads to destruction. The black horse in this whatever time period within this three and a half years as I'm thinking this is how I understand this. It's the aftermath of war. It's the devastation of crops. It's the destruction of industry and the ability to create and manufacture and produce. It would seem. It's the devastation of the world economy in the worst possible way. The horse is black. It is death. Then you have the fourth seal. The pale horse. Its rider was named death. So in the third and the fourth, you have the beginning. Well, in the second too, in the wars. Then you have the famine. And then the fourth horse signifies kind of the culmination of all those forces into the death of so many people. A quarter of the earth. A quarter of the population John sees in this will die during this last part of the three and a half years. I don't know how much. And I, you know, again, if that's literal or there's a longer time period. But this all happens very quickly, relatively speaking. You think of where you were at seven years ago? What's happened in your life in seven years? Might seem like a long time, might seem like a short time. But think about what, this, what the Bible's telling us about this time period. In seven years, you're going to have these four horses that will come through. And by the time you get to this fourth horse, you have this death of a quarter of the earth. Some by sword, some by famine, some, and it says here, by wild beast. You think, well, where'd that come from? How is that? Well, you can imagine with the breakdown of society, how wild animals will be free and who knows what will inhibit them. But many people will die, it says here, from wild animals. It's like, wow. Just imagine what what that might mean. I'm not sure, but I just think of that. There's been a withdrawing of God's protection. There's been a destruction by man of every possible way by war machinery. The destruction probably of industry. The ability to make things to defend themselves. And there's no food. People are hungry. They're starving to death. And you have the emergence of wild animals. This is tribulation. But even at that, the word tribulation, 
is used in these chapters more for God's people than to describe what's happening to the earth. It's both tribulation, but also in these chapters is the remembrance of God of His people. That there have been many people who have died because of the sin of others. They've been martyred. They've been persecuted. And the fifth seal breaks in to this destruction in these seven years with a reminder the fifth seal is of God's hand on His people. God has not forgotten those who have died for their faith. Nor has God forgotten those that will die for their faith in this seven year period. Because it's not yet in the text. I don't really want to go there real far. But over the next 14 chapters, we're going to read about how many people will turn to Christ during this time. They will be saved. There will be people who will hear the gospel in the great tribulation during the first horse, the time of peace, and during the, uh, the times of war, and during the times of famine, and during the times that death spreads over, there will be people who will come to faith in Christ. And that's described later in these chapters. And God will see them. God will remember both those that have died in the past and those that will die during this time period before He comes back. Before His second reign. The fifth seal is a little bit of that. Verse 9. When He opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until You judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? These seem to be those that have died before this time period in the history of the world, way back. People who have been martyred because of their faith in God, both Old and New Testament, I would imagine. I think this is describing the time period up into the rapture and all those that have been martyred. You know what that reminds me? That all those that suffer for their faith, Jesus sees every one of them. We talked about last week how in last week's scripture we have the bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's part of this. And here we have the souls that are under the altar of God in heaven. God has not forgotten them. And they wonder, why God? Why did you let that happen? Why did you let them kill us and torture us? And and God says, here in the fifth seal, wait just a little bit longer. Each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. It seems to me that John sees in this fifth seal all those that have died for their faith in the past and all those that are going to die for their faith during the seven-year tribulation period. And uh, the angel says, very soon God's going to bring them all together. And they will. Chapters 19, 20, 21, and 22 speak to all those that have died in the faith and for their faith. The five seals. Also, in chapter 7, John's going to come back to the fifth seal. I said how things come back later, and we'll look at that next time. But he says more about those that have died for their faith. In fact, that's kind of a a mini theme throughout the rest of the book of the Revelation, those that have died for the faith. It just reminds me that God sees every one of that. He sees the persecution today. He sees that are, that are suffering for the faith at whatever levels they are. Stories we hear and we read about and 
perhaps things that we could go through. The fact that these events are unleashed after the rapture doesn't mean that there's not tribulation before the rapture. For who knows the tribulation? You might say in some ways our world has gone through tribulation in the last two years. Certainly it has, how you describe that and what you think about it. But after the rapture will be the unleashing of these stories and these events that take place. We're planning two weeks from today to pick this up at this point at the sixth seal. Pastor Shane will be preaching next week and then we'll come back to Revelation in two weeks. Thank you for being here. I do realize, I don't know if this more was teaching than preaching, but I'm glad you could be here. And uh, I hope that it will pique your interest in saying, God, what do you say to me and say to us of our faith and what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about the end of time. Would you stand as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, these words are heavy. They're mysterious. They seem too, too great for us sometimes, God. But I pray you would help us to see from it what you want us to. That, God, you would help us to learn and hear and be humbled by and be asking questions about. God, that we would lose our self-sufficiency and kind of in a way that I see in the first seal must have happened after the rapture you had. These people who believe they could do it without God. And it seemed like it. But then the second seal broke loose. Help us, God, as a church to be dependent on Your Spirit, I pray. I thank You for each person that's here today. I pray You would bless them and increase their faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. God bless.